the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is the Rob Black Show. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. Talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Some segments I like to do more strategy or ask the expert, so to speak. Just got a new producer on the air, so it's going to take a couple more weeks for me to integrate the guest interviews with EP Wealth back into the show, but it's coming. I always think those are great because they offer insight into how to invest and what professionals are doing. One of the things I want to talk about today are some of this some small pieces of strategy here and there. Mortgage rates just hit above 6%. And I don't know if this is the talk at your water cooler, but this is the talk at my water cooler. I got to talk with three real estate experts. And one of them gave, well, let's just go over some of the thoughts that I got on this one. Bill Adams, chief economist at Comerica Bank. Adams said he expects higher interest rates to continue to weigh on demand and price growth. I think the fever is broken for housing in the United States. The Fed rate hikes and beginning of shrinking of the balance sheets have pushed up interest rates a lot. We're starting to see that flow through to weaker expectations of home builders and less foot traffic in listings and a slowdown in the mortgage applications and home sales. He does not see prices dropping. Interesting, right? He thinks the fever is broken, but he doesn't see prices dropping. And that's because fundamental demand for housing is considerably stronger than it was prior to the pandemic because of the risk and the rise of work from home and the challenging lifestyles. He thinks that a change that's going to persist whether rates go up or down is that we've we've moved and what we expect for our home, our home is different. I like that one. Um, when Bill Adams talks, he's a pretty smart guy as an economist goes. Now, again, you can get your research from NAR, National Association of Realtors. Just know that it's a little bit, how shall we say, on their side of the fence. He doesn't really see a price drop, but he does see the fever being broken. Maybe making it a little bit more of a buyer's market, but not by a lot, it sounds like. Ian Shepherdson. If you've listened to me for 20 years, you know that he's one of my favorites. Not because I think he's right, but just because every time he talks, I go, huh. He's got a great gift as an economist for making things about us. His quote in a recent call to clients was that he thinks price declines should hit as early as the summer or into the summer. The 26% plunge in mortgage applications from their December peak with no sign yet of a floor already has pushed new home sales down. From a peak of 839,000 in December to 591,000 in April. Inventory is starting to drive up. That's high enough to the signal that prices will fall. When inventory hits six months, 
prices start to fall. When inventory hits seven months, they start to fall a little faster. When inventory starts to hit eight months, it starts to fall even faster. So what he's implying is we're going to start seeing more inventory on the market, which means as a seller, you've been trying to sell it for two months, three months, four months, five months, six months, and you're, now you're starting to get pissed. Now you're starting to get mad at your realtor for pricing it too high. Now you're starting to get to the point of like, why have I paid these extra six mortgage payments? Shepherdson, who warned in 2005 of the mid-2000s housing bubble that later burst, said that in May, he expects a decline to be very, very brief. He thinks that we're in a early stages of a homeowner rollover. Home builders are not yet ready to admit the sky is falling in, but it is. I kind of like that one. Let me throw that one down there for you more. One more time. He thinks that we are in the early stages of a housing rollover. Home builders are not yet ready to admit the sky is falling in, but it is. Okay. So two economists have thrown down pretty good quotes. One that the fever is broken, but doesn't expect prices to drop. One that home builders don't think the party's over, but it is. Alex Herman, he's a senior researcher at the Harvard's Joint Center for Housing Studies. He expects home price growth to moderate, but not to decline as a result of softening demand from rising mortgage rates. But demand hasn't fallen enough and housing supply is still too low to cause those price drops. Given where supply and demand fundamentals are right now, we're still incredibly constrained. I'd agree with that. Inventory is still near record and historic lows. And you expect home price appreciation to continue. Certainly not go negative. The caveat around this is that the aggressive rate hikes that you could find yourself into a broader economic downturn. So you can buy a home, get into it, but then maybe not be able to afford it. He talked about rising mortgage rates, how they hurt demand. But they also act as a further constraint on the supply side, helping to keep prices up. This is because people will be more likely to hold on to their homes if the next home they have to purchase will come in a much costlier mortgage. My current mortgage is 2.5%. The idea of taking out a mortgage of 500, 600, 700, 800,000 at 6% is nauseating to me. So his quote is, and they all gave great quotes, you're going to be reluctant to sell to take on a new mortgage when interest rates are one or even two percentage points higher. All very good stuff. Like I said, I want to do a segment or two of strategy every single day without talking about current market numbers. I think having economists in your back pocket to make you think about the possibilities is very helpful. Now, on the opposite, not on the opposite side of housing, but another type of asset, your 401k plan is similar to an asset like your home. I have both. What's interesting about both my assets in a home and real estate and my assets in a 401k, I can't really enjoy them right now. I can look at them adding my net worth, but until I sell them or until I retire, I can't really enjoy that asset. It's really kind of an illiquid asset, right? I look at that way. When my real estate value went from a million to two million, I didn't go, woo, time to go spend more money. It wasn't, it's not liquid to me. Now I may take out a loan on a home, a HELOC and go out and buy another home as an investment property. But I don't feel that I'm liquid with that. I don't change my lifestyle. 
One of the areas that I want to talk about is your 401k. A lot of young baby boomers are going to outlive their 401k savings. This is, I think this is going to be the sad thing. Do you remember that, that TV commercial when you were a child? And it was probably an American Indian and he's got a tear in his eye and you're like, what is it? What is it? Is it, did the Confederate soldiers just, just murder your, your family? What, what is it? What is it? And as the commercial pans out, you see the American Indian crying because he sees a big trash heap and this land is your land. This land is all my land. It's supposed to be a beautiful land, right? He's all sad about it. We've all had commercials like that. My commercial that's going to make you cry is how many people over the age of 80 live in poverty. I don't like it. I think you work hard. I think you live a good lifestyle. I think you try to get ahead. And those who don't, you're going to end up in a trailer. And as the years go on, as you live longer, you know, the TV dinner is going to be replaced by pretzels and pretzels can be replaced by cat food. That's my commercial of those who didn't plan for retirement. Retirees with 401ks often spend savings quickly. They feel that they've hit their woohoo. I earned it. It's worth a million. Let's see how fast I can kind of blow through it. But even though they don't want to, they do that. By age 70, retirees who had a 401k plan, but no pension plan had 28,000 less than retirees with a pension. People like the paycheck angle. By age 75, 401k savers had 86,000 less than those who had a pension. Drawing down on your 401k, you're going to have to know how to do it. A good way to do that is with a certified financial planner. Need a referral to a financial planner? I got one for you. I work with a CFP. Drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. A straightforward approach to managing your money. The Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Thanks for listening to the show. I like to do some strategy here and there. I think it helps you in the big picture. Maybe not always, but let's go with it for uno momento. Social security for men and women are different beasts. My spouse has taken off years to raise kids. My spouse is taking off time to go more part-time. I've earned more money than her. That was always going to be the case in our pairing, but it doesn't, isn't always the case in America. Women are more likely to struggle with retirement savings than men. I don't think that's right, and I don't like that. It's just the size of the nest eggs that suffer. No, it's not just the size of the nest egg. It's the the gender pay gap. It takes its toll on women's Social Security checks. The average female worker's benefit stacks up versus male counterparts is a little bit on the <laughs> wrong side. As of May 2022, men received about $1,848 per month on average. Women received $1,494. So $1,848 versus $1,494. That's a difference of about $354 a month. Now, that adds up to $42,048 per year. I'm not crazy about that. It takes its toll over the lifetime. If a man and a woman receiving the average social security benefits for their gender claim checks for 20 years, the man would receive $84,960 more over his lifetime than her. Women have consistently earned less than men for decades, which translates into a lower average benefit. Another factor against women is that they're more likely than men to leave the workforce to take care of children. 
considering the government considers your highest 35 years when calculating your earnings on Social Security. Those who haven't worked that long have zero income years factored in, and it really pulls down the average. If nothing else, our government changed change rules that say, okay, we see these big zeros next to your name and income. You clearly took time off from work. Maybe you were taking care of your spouse. Maybe you're taking care of your children. We'll, we'll deduct those from your average. In May 2000, women received 77% of the average man's social security check. By May 2022, it's nearly 81%. There's a long way to go on that trend. You can see that it's moved in the right direction, but it's not where we need it to be. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. My father did my mother a solid favor by dying pretty quickly before he tapped into the retirement nest egg. And my father did my mother a solid by passing on his pension plan to her. Otherwise, when she died last year, there's a good chance she would have been in poverty. I would say my father's nest egg was about 450000 um, but his pension was about 60, 65000 per year, which isn't bad. It's pretty good. Mom never had to worry about anything. She didn't do a lot of traveling. She didn't do a lot of gifting to grandchildren. She had high healthcare costs in her last 10 years of life, including nurses that you know run sixty dollars to $100,000 a year, whether a part-time nurse or whether it's full-time service in a nursing home. Those aren't free, and they burn through money fast. Again, I'm just putting down what I see as obvious. When I say my dad did my mom a solid, worst thing that could have happened was him spending 10 years in bad health, draining the nest egg, the emergency fund, essentially, off of the pension plan. <clears throat> Interesting what's going on in the Senate right now. There's a bipartisan bill that is trying to help us with retirement. And I like this. I think our Congress did us a solid by introducing 401k plans years ago. Basically saying, you know, Social Security is not going to be enough. It's a supplemental program. So you better save in retirement and we're going to help you by not federally taxing you in a 401k until you hit retirement. So Americans now will be able to wait longer to start emptying retirement accounts. Can you imagine if this was the year that you had to start your withdrawals? You'd be like, oh, it's a down year. I don't want to do it this year. It's a testament to the power of bipartisanship. When we work together, we can create impactful, good legislature. The bipartisan bill is broadly similar to the one that was passed by the House. It contains larger retirement savings subsidies for low-income and middle-income workers. The Senate's moves this week increases the chances that Congress will make changes to the U.S. retirement law this year. For a dysfunctional Congress, I'm like, yeah, get it done. Um, it's going to build on some retirement policy changes that were enacted in 2019, raising the age people could require, raising the age where people are required to start withdrawing money from retirement accounts from 70 and a half to 72. I've got a lot of cash gash. 
um, money that's not in a, a retirement account, then I have money that's in a retirement account. I would prefer to draw down my money in my non-retirement accounts first. A, I don't have to do distributions. And B, it lets the non-taxed capital gains retirement account continue to grow for an extra year and a half. Now, I don't know about 72. When will I retire? When will I start drawing money? Um, a lot of my wealth is in my retirement accounts. Like I said, my homes that I'll either pass on and never really have cash flow from. <clears throat> or my retirement accounts where I'm like, do I want to take it at 72 or 70? The Senate bill would raise that age on distributions from 72 today to 75 in the year 2032. <clears throat> well, the House bill would increase it to 73 next year and 74 in 2030 and 75 in 2033. Eventually, the government wants to get their tax money that they're giving you that 401k break on. But they're also seeing that Social Security is willfully problematic. And they're also seeing a lot of their constituents get older and having to move into trailers and downsize their life aggressively. House and Senate bills differ over the savers credit, a government match of sorts for lower income and middle income workers who put money into retirement accounts. Government would put up to $1,000 annually into retirement accounts of eligible workers starting in 2027, regardless of whether they have income tax liability. So we're starting to really not no, I'm not going to say starting to really think about taking care of our citizens. It's nice to see some updates to retirement ideas come out of Congress. In the end, none of this looks prohibitive. It all looks like it should be fair and helpful to the major to a, major a majority of Americans, and that's nice. Is the best retirement plan in the world? Nope. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Need a referral financial planner? Drop me an email, Rob at RobBlackShow.com. It's Rob at RobBlackShow.com. An education-first approach to managing your money. This is the Rob Black Show. Thank you for listening to the show. I pledge to try to put together a podcast, broadcast, webcast, whatever you want to call it, on a daily basis. Typically, at least a good hour, two hours of content. Some of it will be better than others. Darden Restaurants is, it's kind of interesting. If you ever look back at your life and you look back at your teenage years where your parents would take you to dinner, and then you look at the teenage years where you started take, going to dinner with other people, the 20-somethings, the 30-somethings, the 40-somethings. It has been a long time since Rob Black has been in an olive garden. And I'm saying that in an incredibly snobby kind of way. But I do look at Olive Garden on a regular basis because they're owned by Darden Restaurants. And to me, they tell me middle class, lower middle class, that's a nice night out. But they also have some components inside of Darden Restaurants that are more high end which you might say is more my style at this point in my life. I know you're saying you don't get a good steak at the Olive Garden, Rob. No, I don't feel that I do. The Capitol Grill is something they own and Eddie V's. <clears throat> so Darden owns some high-end and they own some middle type of restaurants. It's interesting when they report earnings. I want to see what they're doing, especially coming out of the pandemic. I don't know if you have a little bit of that voyeuristic thing what are people spending their money on 
Net sales overall for Darden rose 14%. That's amazing. So something good isn't happening in the world of restaurants. It's the fine dining, the Capital Grill and Eddie V's, which reported a 34.5% booming push in revenue. That's huge. That segment, though, the high-end restaurant, was hardest hit by the pandemic. But for Darden, again, they own these companies, Capital Grill and Eddie V's. It surpasses 2019 levels in the fiscal fourth quarter, which is before it happened, before the pandemic. Before the stinky two and a half years of us changing our life for a flu that took my mother's life. I'm not upset by that. I'm just throwing it down there. Somewhere in between high end and middle end is Longhorn Steakhouse, which helped uh, pull up same store sales growth of about 10.6%, beating expectations of about 5.6%. So on the lower end, on the Olive Garden end, a little disappointing. The middle class is a little disappointing. On the end where people want to spend $40 on a steak, the higher end, it's, it's a little pent up demand. I don't think you want to extrapolate left to right and go, oh, I'm going to put that into every retail scenario I can because you shouldn't. But with that said, I certainly understand the retail industry is something we all have to you know, continually try to stay on top of. The retail industry is facing a wave of bankruptcies. And I tell you that because remember last Monday we came on the air and we said, wait, wait, Revlon is going bankrupt. And the joke is, and I told this to Daria Folsom from Crown 4 News, I said, aren't there, aren't people still going to be needing makeup? And she goes, yes. And she goes, I would support Revlon. It's just they have no product. So when Revlon filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, it was the first consumer-facing name to do so in a while. And again, I'm saying that even speaking of the pandemic, a 90-year-old cosmetic giant going down was a little bit unexpected. Who's going to be next? So when I talk about Darden and Olive Garden, let's, let's, let's extrapolate a little bit bigger and say that we all think that retail is in flux, that it's going to be a f- different five years going forward than it was the last five years. It's going to be a different landscape. There's going to be a lot of restructuring that started. I love one thing to come out of the pandemic is the order on the app, get in a parking space and we'll bring it to you. There's times where that's perfect for me, where I just don't want to go into a store and find. And again, you're sounding, you're sounding old, Rob. But the retail industry has seen a dramatic pullback in restructurings. So we're starting to figure it out. What does, what's it going to look like? You've seen companies like Amazon say, we got have too much warehouse space. So we're going to lease out some of our warehouse space. Good, smart. Change on the fly. Don't just get sit there and go, oh, we've got too much space. I don't know what to do with it, Eddie. So there was a lot of distress in 2020. There was a lot of restructuring in 2021. There's less restructuring in 2022. But some companies that are on distress before the pandemic are still on distress. Distress alert. Names like JCPenney, Brooks Brothers, 
J. Crew, Neiman Marcus. They're going to be the next ones to potentially fall. Now, did you grow up with any of those names? Did you used to buy your jeans, JCPenney, or you used to get winter sweaters for the cabin at J. Crew? Neiman Marcus, was that in your life? It's interesting the way it's going to change. There's a perfect storm brewing in the sense that we still have many problems in our economy with supply chain and inflation costs. It is very difficult to be a retailer if your supply chain can't get you the clothes that you want. So say like your Brooks Brothers or any one of those companies and you summer's coming up or summer's here, right? What's hot during summer? Shorts, maybe some cutoffs, uh, maybe some halter tops. I don't know, some muscle shirts. I know you're saying you don't know much about fashion, do you? I do not. But those needed to be on the on the, the rack a month ago, two months ago. Now we need to be starting to set up for the fall and back to school. And then when we're doing back to school, we have to have the Christmas stuff out. Otherwise, retailers find that they have the inventory that people don't want, and then they have to discount it. Now, one of the problems with the pandemic was getting inventory. A lot of managers would order two times. We need double shorts, double t-shirts, double muscle shirts. And then the inventory started to build on them. And it came at odd times. It has been a very, very difficult time to be a shipping manager. Now, again, retail falls into clothing. Retail also falls into food. We've hit the restaurants. We've hit the clothing. Furniture and home furnishing retailers, electronic stores, personal care chains, all saw month-over-month declines in spending. It's worthy of note that my spouse bought a kitchen table nine months ago, and it still hasn't been delivered. So... You're saying, have you been eating at a card table or a a table nook this whole time? Yes, is the right answer. It's difficult because in that cable or that TV nook or that kitchen nook, I've got kids who are six feet tall. And someone has to get in first because dad's not going to do it. So the first three months of the year 2022, consumers bought 6% fewer items at retail than they did in the first quarter of 2021. 6% fewer, that's in large part because of inflation. We spent the same, but we got less. More than 8 in 10 consumers say they plan to make further changes to pull back on their spending in the next 3 to 6 months. So inflation is hitting 80% of us to say that we're going to cut back on our spending. I don't think I'm going to be that kind of a taskmaster when it comes back back to school fall. Again, I would categorize myself as wealthy or better off than most. But I am taking some inventory. I've got a I've got a kid who seems to have like 12 hoodies. And he'll wear his hoodie once and throw it on the ground. I'm like, that's going to change. As you grow up, that's going to change. Evil dad will come out. Like, why would you only wear a hoodie once? Sometimes I've worn hoodies for as much as like two months in a row straight till they could stand on their own. So Revlon was a sign to me that more bad things are going to happen to retailers. That companies that have the wrong inventory or companies that can't get inventory Companies that have a lot of debt loads that have to service inventory with sales, cash flow. Those are the ones that I'm most nervous about. 
consumers have been willing to spend on credit cards. So the consumer's kind of there. But the inventory on your shelf, if you're a JCPenney's, an Abercrombie and Fitch, a Kohl's, it's worrisome. Rising inventory levels are on bankruptcy advisors' radar because they can trigger a much worse case scenario. Target said earlier this month that it's planning to mark downs on canceling some orders to try to get rid of unwanted merchandise. They, they, Target said it. And if that's not hitting, Target has, and this is just amazing because like, you can't see me. This is where I wish we were on like video chat. My head dipped when I go, Target's got great managers. They blew their inventory. And if they can do it, anyone in retail can distress. Now, yeah, Target's can take a big charge and I own shares of Target. I'm like, oh, that sucks. This year's performance is gone. I'll still get my dividend. Boy, that's the way I'm looking at it. And what's interesting is I reinvest all my dividends. Do you? So if, if Target pays a 2 to 3% dividend per year, I don't mind buying 2 to 3% more of Target every year. Some accumulated shares. When I need that dividend is when I'm retirement, when I don't have W-2 income. I look at names like Bed Bath & Beyond, and I go, I wonder if they've got the right inventory. I look at Best Buy. I wonder if they have the right inventory. So I don't go from store to store, but I pay for high-quality research from National Retailers Foundations as well as other services. And I do read about inventory levels. And I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a couple more bankruptcies coming into 2023. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Need a referral to Financial Planner? Drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. Find us at robblackshow.com. Robblackshow.com. So this is kind of funny. I've got a second home, a vacation home, and I feel really guilty about it. But it is what it is at this point in time. My financial planner that I work with at EP said, do something for your kids. Get them a place that is a fortress of solitude. Get them a place that is never stressful. And we did that during right before the pandemic. We got super lucky. Um, we bought a home that, oddly enough, has doubled in value in four years because it's in an area where people are moving to. I don't bring this up as a bragging thing. I'm just trying to share my life with you in an honest way to let you know that I lent that property out to someone. I don't Airbnb it. I give it to friends who I trust and friends who aren't as well off as me. And I want their families to enjoy the same thing because I decked out the game room with computers and like crazy lights and stuff like that. I want my kids as teenagers to be able to bring other teenagers up there and like close the door and nope, they can't hear parents for an hour or two hours in their solitude. So family I gave it to, they know that I, they kind of know what I do, but they kind of don't. And she's asking me if I can make a computer for her kid. I'm like, that's not really what I do. I know how to make computers. It's an odd skill that I picked up you know, 40 years ago in my teens um but i don't have time right now i'm sorry and she goes oh i thought you did that for a living i'm like no she goes that's a pretty silly bazilly room you have up there i'm like yes um, and i guess i did do that but i had a lot of time on my hands with the pandemic right so i, I said what i do is I, I talk financial planning i talk retirement and she goes oh my husband would love to talk to you so she set her husband up to talk to me and he gave me his portfolio and i had to ask a lot of questions 
How many kids do you have? How many kids do you want to have? Do you want to send your kids to Stanford or do you want to send your kids to a, cal- a state college or do you want to send your kid to a community college? For maturity reasons, I have no problem sending my kids to a community college. I don't care if they go to Harvard or not. From 8 to 20, I kind of want them to find themselves in a college lifestyle, maybe living away from mom and dad, maybe not having mom and dad drive them to school, but them driving themselves to school. Um, so I had to ask a lot of questions because I can't make assumptions, right? And ultimately, what I came back to home with was four pieces of advice. He wants to retire well. He only contributes to a SEP IRA a few times a year. Ever since opening up our first retirement accounts, I think we all probably did one by the age of 30, I hope. Um, you got to fund things like SEP IRA accounts. It's a good amount of depositing. It's a good you know, amount of paperwork and writing checks and finding stamps and finding envelopes and getting it to the mailbox. Now you can do all that online. So there's really no excuse, which is the best part about it, because that, that was my excuse as 20, 30 years ago. Um, I like buying on a regular basis. I've been buying in my 401k every two weeks for 30 plus years. I opened an Acorns account with you guys on the air two and a half years ago, and it's got about $35,000 in it. And all it does is every two weeks, it takes all my spending on my credit cards, rounds them up. So if I spent $30.25 on a concert ticket, it rounds it up to $0.75 to $31 and it invests it for me. I like that automating everything. This guy didn't automate everything. And he had accounts that were just sitting there abused for years as if he had a child and then he forgot about it. I'm like, well, this is IRA you haven't touched in like five years. And like, you went on vacation, you used my vacation, like find that before you go on vacation. Now I get a little bit hardcore with this, but he was abusive on maintaining what he had. He had no tax diversification, uh, which is a strategy of having assets and accounts that have varying tax treatments, tax deferred, taxable, tax free. This all allows for a smoother retirement income. As you turn 50, you need to start thinking about retirement income and where you're going to generate tax savings. You know how I said earlier in the show that all of my dividends go right back into my stocks? I do pull how much my dividends pay me per year. So I can, when I turn off that tap, I can see how much they're going to be paying me in income as I don't reinvest. So being tax efficient, having some, for instance, I have a Roth account. My spouse is in love with teardrop trailers. She thinks this idea of her and I traveling around the country, maybe with a dog when the kids are in college and out and going to all these great monuments in America is romantic. I'm like, oh, who wants to drive a trailer when you're 60 years old? Not me. <laughs> Fly me to the place. But I get it. I'll probably have to play along, right? But if you're going to spend $60,000, $70,000 on a vehicle, you want to pay as little taxes as possible. That's the trick in retirement. Pay as little taxes as possible. So that will pull from my Roth account. He didn't have any of this. He didn't have any income strategy for retirement. Um, he has his earnings now and he has stocks and he has his earnings now and he has stocks and the two shall never meet. It feels like 
he hasn't really thought about how long he's going to live in retirement. I was like, how long do your parents live? How long do your uh, wife's parents live? He hasn't thought about gifting or traveling or health-related issues. A friend of mine just contacted me after a few years and said, you know, the last 10 years haven't been good on my health, but I've managed. He was obese when I knew him in his 20s, so it's not a big surprise. And finally, his portfolio, what he did have in income, he had only in stocks. So as he's moving towards retirement, he has to have some income streams, in my opinion. You should invest in some income-generating vehicles, such as dividend-paying stocks, coupon-bearing bonds, rental real estate, uh, REITs, real estate investment trusts. Perhaps you could be a silent partner or an owner in a private business. His was stock dividends. Now, that's fine if you have enough stocks that you can weather a downturn and not sell. But I was like, you do know this is too much in stock dividends, right? And he goes, no, I didn't. So I just gave him some concepts. Four big mistakes he's making in his 50s. All of it had to do with income and retirement. He's just not thinking about that transition from growth to income. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.